right, we're going to get going, and I am going to record it. Record. I did record the last one, but no one has asked for it. So we found out how to record it. And um, I think this is our third time together. All right. So this is lesson three. And lesson three, and we're continuing. I hope you guys have your notes. If not, print them out. Listen to the podcast again because we're we're going through our initial phase of um, understanding the Bible, and uh, we're going to be talking about some things today. And I hope you guys don't get mad at me, um, um, or if you do and you throw stones at me, they won't reach me. So I'm I'm okay. <laughs> Because we're going to be talking about some things when it comes to the Bible. We're going to be talking about authoritative. We're going to be talking about inspiration, inspired. We're going to be talking about inerrant. And we're going to be talking about infallible, um, which are words that people use to describe their different views of the Bible. And before we go on, I want to, I want to thank you guys because... I don't put this on a podcast for everybody to hear, and not everybody is invited to this. You know, they have enough of my podcasts and enough of my messages and whatnot. This is for you guys who have gone above and beyond, above and beyond, or beyond, above and beyond, and have become, you know, supporters, supporters, uh, monthly supporters. You know, you believe in our ministry and you financially support us. And this is just, this is my thank you to you guys. And and this, there's not going to be a stop to this. We're going to continue this on and on and on. Second and, and fourth Thursday of every month. I, I think the, the next few, the next few uh, lessons after this are going to start getting really good where we're going to be going through the nature of God and the covenants. Um, and uh, we're going to be going through the entire New Testament uh, from the book of Acts on, looking at the specific new covenant. And I'm guaranteeing you, man, it's, it's going to bless you. You're going to see things that you haven't seen and um, it's, it's going to be amazing, I guarantee you. I'm, I'm, I know that a lot of you guys have graduated from Karis, so I'm not going to repeat stuff to you. It's going to be all new stuff. It's going to be all, you know, uh, stuff that I believe is really going to bless you. But this is a thank you for you guys, and uh, I really appreciate it. So we're going to be looking at, number one, um, the authority of the Bible, the authority of the Bible. And when people talk about the Bible as a book, and its formation, they often use words like authoritative, inspired, inerrant, or infallible to describe their view of the Bible. I, I, I'm, I would imagine that you've all heard those words. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. It, the, Bible, the Bible is inspired. I'm sure you might have even heard some preachers say the Bible is inerrant or the Bible is infallible. And um, when people say the Bible is authoritative, we're going to be looking at that first. It means it carries the authority of God's word and they submit to its its instructions um, or commands. And the idea that the Bible is inspired simply indicates that God actually spoke to certain men and inspired them to write the scriptures, which means we should elevate it above our own human understanding. It is not humanly inspired, but divinely inspired. Now, here it goes. When people claim the Bible is inerrant, they mean that the Bible is without error. And uh, similarly, similarly, some people also use the term infallible to say that the Bible is without error because it is incapable of error. So we're going to be looking at those things and um, uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun. And I hope I don't get any of you mad at me. I know some of you can never be mad at me, like Evelyn. She can never be mad at me, right, Evelyn? Um, so we're going to look at the authoritative Word of God. <clears throat> and Hi, we... Evelyn. <laughs> this is why I like this, too. We could all stay connected. And um, we're going to look at uh, the first scripture I have on your notes, if those, those of you have printed it up, is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 where it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's great and that's important. And uh, we're going to have some fun what comes after it, where it says, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, uh, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And in the Passion Translation, it says this, Every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of goodness or godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Now, of course, one of my favorites is the mirror. I put all three down there. And it says this, Jesus Christ and his work of salvation is the theme of Scripture. I like that. The value of Scripture in its most complete context is always found in God's prophetic voice, inspiring a thorough education in the revelation of righteousness. This is what carries the breath of God and gives substance and proof to accurately gauge what is being taught. Being thoroughly schooled in the word of righteousness will equip you to be fully refreshed in sparkling newness of life, giving you a fresh start to tackle every relevant and good task with renewed inspiration. I love that. Because we've talked about hermeneutics, we've talked about the scriptures, we've talked about when you read it's important to read the entirety of the letter. We talked about devotional messaging and topical messaging and expository messaging. We talked about, about all that. And this one verse here, it's inspired. The Word of God is inspired. This is where it gets its, its authority, authority from. But unfortunately, because of improper exegesis, we've talked about that, and hermeneutics, Men have used this portion of scripture, it's inspired, to hammer people, to hammer them. It's inspired, the word of God is authoritative, and it's inspired to do what? To reprove you, to correct you. And so they use it, they'll use the law, they'll use different commandments, the ceremonial laws, whatever, to prove their point and to point out sin and to hammer people. And I'm sure you've heard it used that way. But we're going we're gonna to look at some of the words uh, from this portion of Scripture. Yes, it is authoritative. It is inspired. Okay? But we're going to look at what it is inspired to do and what it is authoritatively given to us to do. So we're going to look at that word doctrine. First of all, that word doctrine, right? It means simply instruction. That's all it means, instruction, a learning, and a teaching. So all scriptures are authoritatively given, given to us by God to teach us proper instruction, to instruct us properly. And we're going to find out hermeneutically and from scripture what it's instructing us about. In fact, verse 15 gives it definition, what is there to instruct us about. But firstly, I, I just want to cover this verse because I want to destroy all religion. I want to destroy what you, you know, what you might have heard. I want to get it out of your brains, out of your souls, so that you can operate in the fullness of the, of the grace of God. Now that word reproof, very interesting. Especially if you have King James, New King James, some other versions, it says reproof, right? Reproof reproof. Now, the, the amazing thing is there are two Greek words for the word reproof. And one, row, one word is elengis, uh, and I have that there, and I don't know if I'm saying it right. But that word reproof is rebuke, okay? All scripture is given by, inspired by God authoritatively to rebuke you, right? Reproof. And then there's another word for reproof that simply means to proof, to prove, to proof, to prove. Guess which word is used there by Paul? That word. Not the first word for reproof that says rebuke, but that's what man uses it to do, to rebuke us, to correct us, to put us in our place, 
to show us the sin, to reveal the sin. And that is so against what this scripture is being taught. And it's important to understand this because this is what the authoritative word of God does for us. And then you look at the word correction. Correction simply means, right, to straighten us up, a straightening up, a straightening up. That's important to understand because when Paul is talking about that, he's talking about a straightening up. He's talking about the revelation and the revealing of righteousness that's within us. And then the word instruction. The word instruction simply means education or training. Now, in what and for what? It's important, like I said, to read Paul's whole letter. And if you read his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and you start with verse 1, chapter 1, chapter 2, into chapter 3, all Paul is talking to, to Timothy about is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in faith in him for righteousness, in, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in how Timothy learned the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ through Paul. He saw it in Paul. He saw it through Paul's life. And then how Paul goes on to say, Timothy, find able men who you can impart this message of grace to, who you can teach this message of grace to. All right? And, and now you're going to have to be a soldier. You're going to have to fight, right? You're going to have to be like a farmer. You're going to have to work. What? To do what? To fight against... To fight against, Lord, shut that, please. To fight against the Judaizers, right? And what were they doing? They were coming and destroying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and trying to put people under the law again to cause them to fulfill the requirements of the law, to become circumcised, to follow the moon, to follow the seasons. It's important to understand that. Because now when you come into the authoritative word of God, which is inspired, and you see proving, correcting, straightening up, doctrine, Paul is simply telling them and teaching them and talking to them that the word of God is inspired to reveal the true righteousness of God, to reveal faith in Jesus Christ for that righteousness, all right? This is the correct doctrine of the entire Bible. And how do we know that? Because in verse 15, he says, You know the holy scriptures, how they make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. See, what goes before it gives clarification to verse 16. Inspired to correct, to bring correction. Bring what correction? How we become righteous. To proof, to proof what? What true righteousness is. To instruct us in true righteousness and to bring about doctrines that teach us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not what the religion, the religious use it for. And it's all instruction to bring about perfection. Instruction to bring about true righteousness. And this is totally consistent with Paul's theology, with Paul's doctrine, with Paul's teaching. And uh, you don't have it in your notes, but when it comes to instruction, I have it in my notes. I, uh, I also used Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, just to, to show the consistency of Paul's thinking and of Paul's teaching and of, of Paul's doctrine and of Paul's proofing and correcting. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, Paul tells us, and he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. For what? For why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
You see the straightening up, the straightening up so that we can come into the fullness of the measure and the stature of Jesus Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every, every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive us. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by what which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So now this is what Paul is talking about in that verse. You know the Holy Scriptures, all right? How, how they make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Because all scriptures are inspired for what? For doctrine, for teaching us about Christ, salvation through him, for proving what true righteousness is. Remember in, 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 in Romans chapter 10, where he talks about the Jews, where he says, my, Jew, my Jewish fellows, fellow men, they're zealous for righteousness, but it's not the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So this is where the proving of, of the true righteousness comes in, where it's all about Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. My doctrine, my instruction, you know, my straightening up, my, my, my everything is all about Christ, in Christ, through Christ, and because of Christ. And this is what the, the scriptures are authoritatively, authoritatively inspired to do for us, to show us, and to teach us, not to rebuke us, not to correct us. Yes, it brings correction to us when we're when we're when we're reverting to the do-it-yourself system of legalism and legalistic adherence to laws and rules and regulation. Yes, it brings the correction. It brings us correctly back to Christ for true righteousness, the true straightening, our true straightening up is found in Christ. And that's why also that, that verse there, righteousness, right? Justification. Uh, the correction proving doctrine and instruction and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So you can see the answer to correction, proving, doctrine, instruction, all given definition in what happens before verse 16 and especially in verse 15, all right? So we see that the Bible is authoritative and it is inspired. In fact, there's a verse of scripture and in, in, uh, in, we're gonna look at it in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21 and this is why it's authoritative, because it is inspired. And we read there that it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, through hu though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in the King James Version, it says... Uh, I like this, I like this because this is Peter talking about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it's talking about the authoritativeness of the scriptures and how they're authoritative because they were inspired. It wasn't man simply writing, it was God, it was man writing under the inspiration, the direct inspiration of God. And um what I find interesting is Peter never considered his writing, 1 Peter or 2 Peter, as being authoritative or inspired, although we do now, we do now. But it's interesting that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter says this about Paul, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom, wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, 
speaking in them of the things in which are some things hard to, to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle with, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So here, Peter is not only talking about the authoritatively inspired words of God, but he is letting us know right here, right now, in his writing, that when he's talking about Paul, he is referring to all of Paul's letters as being author authoritative and with the wisdom given from God, and he's equating them to the other scriptures, the other scriptures. So he gives, he gives um, relevance to the fact that all Paul's writings were authoritative and inspired, which I, which I think is pretty cool. So that's what the words authoritative and inspired go, um, what they mean. And we have no doubts in our minds that our Bibles are authoritative, that they have the authoritative word of God. And we know and we have no doubt that they are inspired. But here's where um, we can come into uh, a situation where we find ourselves challenged. And that's when we'll make, we make statements that the Bible is inerrant or that the Bible is infallible. Um, I'm sorry to tell you that, but those are two words that we shouldn't use about our scriptures. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, we have more than 5,000 Greek manuscripts. Wow. More than 5,000. Now, and... and, and you know, many of them are nearly identical, but they do have differences. And of all those manuscripts, we don't have complete manuscripts. We have parts of them. Parts of them. And these are what translators use to give us all of our varied modern English translations. Translated Bibles. So, however, it's important to know humans were not inspired to translate the Bible in the same way that your, the original writing writers were inspired directly by the Holy Spirit of God. And when these translators who went into and textually went into parts of manuscripts and pieces of manuscripts and tried to put them all together and formulate translations, our modern English translations, to be honest with you, they weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in many times, and in often times, they wrote the translations, they, they, um, they translated based upon their understandings. Were they Calvinists? Were, were they Arminians? You know, what was their theological background? What was their theological thinking? What, you know, where did they get their training? Where did they get their understanding? It, it just didn't happen one day, you know. Did they go to Princeton Theological Seminary? Did they go to Dallas Theological Seminary? Where did they go? And, and you know, that's very telling because where they went, you know, determined how they translated when they made the translations. Um, and that's why, okay, when you look at... Uh, the harshness, harshness of the word um, reproof, and that's in many translations, reproof, well, you know, that comes from a legalistic background. That comes from a Calvinistic background. And John Calvin was a lawyer. So he was very judicial and very legalistic in his in beliefs and his teachings and his foundations. So there you would have the word reproof rather than a nicer word, a better word, the truer word, approving. Approving. That he would prove, that, that, the, that the proving would be of the true righteousness of God. That's such a better, more better way to say it. That's why I like the Mere Study Bible. It does say it better. He, he, he writes from the position of, of grace and um and rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and, and so you can see that you can't use the word inerrant or you can't use the word infallible because our English translations 
were made by men. And, you know, we, we, an example of this is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in the King James Version says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? And then it goes on to say, Who walk not after the flesh, but who walk after the Spirit. All right. So what the King James Version and the New King James Version did was they added something that wasn't even in the manuscripts. It's not even there. And they put a condition on the no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation from Christ. But it's only if you walk in the Spirit. All right? If you're not walking in the Spirit, you know, you're going to fall under the condemnation of Christ. See, that is a uh, legalistic and the judicial um, 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 thinking and understanding. And that came from the translators who had an agenda. They were given an agenda by, um, by, by, uh, by, by King James at the time. That, that's just, that's just a small example. If you have a, 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 a translation that has that, therefore now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Okay. And that's all it has. That's good. And that's right. If you have who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, cross that out because it's not in there. It was added. It was added. It was not in the original manuscripts. And so that's just a small, you know, portion of scripture. There are the portions of scripture. I remember being in Karis and I remember, you know, Barry Bennett teaching somewhat, somewhat on this. And he was talking about um, how people get the, uh, the sovereignty of God um, doctrine and where they get it from. And, and, and he was quoting a portion of scripture that said, there's not one sparrow that falls to the ground without it being the will of their father. And um, where other translations just simply say, there's not a sparrow that falls to the, fall to the ground without your heavenly father being aware of it. To totally different things. One showing the knowledge and the awareness of God, and the other showing the sovereign act of God, where it being a will, without it being a will of your father. And so you can't say translations are inerrant or infallible because of that, because of that very that very reason. And another thing is, I don't know how much of you how many of you know this, but in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, the end of chapter, uh, the end of chapter 16 in Mark, where it talks about, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you to a if you, yeah, and if, if you, you drink, follow, yep, if you drink any uh, deadly or poisonous right, thing, or, demons, yep, yep, there you go, I like it. But guess what? There's, there's no manuscript that has that. That was added. Now certain, and many of the translations have kept it. Some don't have it. But the thing about it, is it bad? Is it wrong? Is it right? Well, you know what? You can see those things in the scriptures. So that's why some, 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 some left it there. But in reality, it wasn't there. Mark didn't write it. So it wasn't part of Mark's inspirational writing. And so there are different, different things like that all throughout the scripture, which leads us to believe or leads us to make, be able to make the statement, scripture is not inerrant and is not infallible. If it was, then we would all be using one translation and one translation only. But we're not. There are many. There are many, and we and we study them all, and we look to them all, and um, thousands, like I said, thousands of manuscripts. That's why, when it comes to the Word of God, whatever translation you are using, and you know, I I went through a period of time where I read the the King James version of the Bible. I just I. I a, a, a version that I didn't, I did not like. I never liked. All of a sudden, I, I kind of like, I kind of like fell in love with it. And 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 for the longest time, I read the King James version. Um, but then all of a sudden, I started getting alternative revelations, and I started 
you know, using other, other translations, the Amplified translation. I started out my Christianity with the American Standard Bible, and I thought that was the only one that people should, you know, read or use, uh, whatever. I, I, I occasionally would use the New International Version, but what I'm saying is I, I, I used them all, and, and I also uh, regard um, um, quite heavily, I regard quite heavily, yes. lean quite heavily on the Mirror Study Bible, Okay. Uh, but 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 here's the thing. I'm just doing the Somebody has to somebody has to mute for a second. I can't. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. But anyway, there's lots of things. Listen, there's lots of things I don't know how to do. Okay, so you techie people who can help me and who can assist me, please do it. I get people say, Pastor, I couldn't open up the notes. Well, I'm finding out that people that have Apple phone, iPhones or, 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 or whatever are different than people that have Androids. And sometimes I'll send messages and it won't even go through because, because on, that, on that list are people that have Androids. You know, Androids, Apple, iPhones, PDF, um, uh, whatever. Um, I'm saying, you know, so if you guys can find me an easy place to send the links to the notes and 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 to the invitation to Zoom. Like if there's some place where people you know to visit every week, this one place where if you're on Android or if you're on an iPhone or no matter what you want, you visit that place and you could pull off the invitations to Zoom and the notes. Let me know how to do that and I will forever be grateful to you and thank and kiss you and hug you and everything. You're doing an awesome job. Right? I, <laughs> on another note, Wait, not time for questions yet. I got one more thing to say. Oh, okay. Questions come in two minutes. What are you supposed to do? Get all these translations? Well, what I do is get no. different translations. Is that, is that what you, you recommend? What? Okay, I'll, I'll address that right now real quick. We live in a day and age that is so unbelievably amazing. Exactly. Where we can have an app, you know, um... Uh, the Bible. What what is what's that? What's that? Um, what is that app? U version. U version. Boom. Yes. Thirty versions right off the bat, and you can hit compare. Now the one it doesn't have on there is the uh, is the mirror, and then with the press of a button, I go into the King James version, and it lets me know. And it's amazing if you have the King James version and Strong's Concordance. You'll look at the, at the King James Version, and you'll find that there's two groups, colors of lettering. There's black lettering, and there's blue lettering. Half the lettering is black, half the lettering is blue. Whatever's in black wasn't there. What's there is what's in blue. So here it is, here it is. The translators try to make sense of the sentencing, and so there's where you can't go inerrant or infallible. But then with a push of a button, you can press the blue word and immediately come up with the Greek, and you can find out. Whoa! Wow! There's all the trans. There's all the meanings of it, and and why they don't stay in consistency with all scriptures inspired to reveal salvation through Christ, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ and grace. Why don't they select those meanings? I don't know. It's because they don't have the right filters. But no matter what. Bible you have. If all I had right now today was the King James Version, <coughs> I would be okay. If all I had today was the NIV with its errors or whatever, I would be okay. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. He's number one. That's our number one go-to is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he will be with you, he will be in you, and he will lead you into all truth. And then this is a, an important thing about what Jesus said, and he will testify of me. He will testify of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will testify of the truth of the new and better covenant of grace. He will testify. And so when you look to him as your number one, as your number one go-to, 
and you lean on him and you look to him, he is your number one and greatest filter, Holy Spirit. But then on top of that, I have learned and I've trained myself to look to my filters, filters that have been put in place by the Holy Spirit so that I could go into any Bible and know that I'm, I'm reading the truth and I'm not reading the error. I'm reading the authoritatively inspired word and I'm not reading the error. And that is of, by, through Jesus Christ. Everything I have, all my promises, my righteousness, my justification, my sanctification, everything, my healing, everything, my prosperity, all of it is of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ. If I'm reading a translation that indicates that there's a responsibility I have, then I know it's been in, in, in translated in error. The other parts of my filter filters are I am, I am, I am, just as he is. As Jesus is, so, I, so am I. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. I was joined with him in his death and burial, and I was joined with him in his resurrection to newness of life. I am. I am. I am one with Jesus Christ. I am who he says I am. I am. I am. And if I read a portion of scripture that says I am not, and I have to work to become, or I have to strive to become, which a lot of translations indicate that there's a work on our part to do, no, my filter won't accept that. My filter only accepts I can. I can do all things. I am more than a conqueror. I can, I can, I can, because he tells me I can. If I'm reading anything, any kind of translation that still indicates that I can't yet until, or I don't until, especially like the next one, I have. I have been given all things. I have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. I have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. So my filters are everything, every promise, every gift, every part of my inheritance is of and by and through Jesus Christ. If there's anything that's contrary to that, I know it's not right. And I am, I can, and I have. And the thing about it is, if you have these filters in place, and you're reading something in the scriptures that don't indicate that in one portion of scripture. This is why it's important. One of the main things that I did that, that I thank Kenneth Hagin. I listened to him one day like I was sitting in front of him live and in person. I listened to Kenneth Hagin when he said, I spend 85% of my time reading the Pauline epistles because Paul writes to the new creation. He writes to me. Uh, he writes to about resurrection life and new creation realities. And when I spend so much time into Paul's writings that it's, if I read something, right, that I know is wrong because it doesn't fit this filter, I can go in other writings of Paul and I know right where to find the correction, the truth. You see, although man was inspired to translate, and although man may have had subjectivity when they, were, when they were formulating their translations, they can't screw it all up. The reason why they can't screw it all up is because, from Wanda to everyone, I don't know who, uh, the reason why they can't screw, screw it up is because of what Paul told Timothy. You know the Holy Scriptures. And what scriptures he was talking about was the, the, the law and the prophets and the Psalms, right? The minor prophets, the major prophets, right? The poetic books. What? There are over 3,500 prophecies about Christ. He said, you know the holy scriptures, how they make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So knowing that that's what Paul said, and he was inspired to write to Timothy, Okay, so we know that there's so much about Jesus Christ. 
There's so much about faith righteousness. There's so much about our new creation identity and our new creation realities that if they screw it up in one portion of scripture, another portion of scripture will bring correction. This is why it's important to read whole letters and then groupings of letters to get the full doctrinal and theological thinking of someone like the Apostle Paul. Okay? So anyway, now it's been 40 minutes. I hope this has blessed you tonight. I hope it's blessed you. If you've been bored by it, don't worry. It's going to get better. I promise you it's going to get better. But these are things that you should know and you should be aware of. <clears throat> it's authoritative and it's inspired, but it's not in inerrant and it's not infallible. And hopefully you all have right and true filters in place that can help you spot the error or what has been infallible in an authoritatively and inspired work. So, any questions? Come on, Ed, now hit me with your questions. Well, you know, funny you should say, you said that, you mentioned that about the Holy Spirit. I was going to mention that before you said that, um, that in fact, I would think that the interpretations or the interpreters of the Bible and all these different um, translations, I should say, um, I'm sure that they were led by the Holy Spirit as well. And, and perhaps some of the flesh got in there, but I'm sure that they prayed and they say, Holy Spirit, help me. It was such a big responsibility it is to do that. Uh, if you and I were, were doing the translations, I think we would be like, oh, you know, I don't know, fasting for a few days and, you know, being in the Word and, you know, asking the Holy Spirit to have our, His way with us so we could do it correctly. And, and, and then, you know, I'm sure flesh does get in the way, human error, but I, I believe that, you know, I'm sure that they asked the Holy Spirit to help. But you see, I, I see your heart, and I believe your heart, and I would like to believe that that's true, okay? Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, for instance, I know Calvinism. I know Tulip, totally depraved, unconditional selection. So, um, God's choosing. Yeah, God's, so, so, yeah, so, and to be honest with you, when you look at uh, American, the New American Standard and the New International Version, many of them come from a Calvinistic background. That's why a lot of Bibles have uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom God predestined, right? For whom God knew... He predestined. This is where Calvinists, okay, get, you know, predestination from or predetermination from, and they put that word in the scriptures. Now, there are other translations that don't have that. Um, and so they could be very sincere, but if that's where they're coming from, they're going to be very sincerely wrong. I heard a very famous preacher a very famous preacher who I like. I always wanted to be like him. I think he's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. And that, uh, um, I'm not going to make no, you know, I'm not going to hold back who it was because it's uh, public information and he said it uh, and it's on YouTube and it's on wherever you can find him. Steve Furtek. I really like Steve Furtek. Okay. I, I, he's a great speaker. But one, one night, day from stage, he was, he was reading a portion of scripture that said, whom, whom, for whom God knew, he, pre, he predestined to be. And then he made, after he read that, he, he, um, he made the statement, and in, in case you don't know what that means, or if you don't understand that, that means predestination. Now, I know Furtek is a Calvinist. And they believe in unconditional selection. God chooses. In fact, you can't go to a Calvinist and let me see. I got Nina. I got Evelyn. I got Carol. I got Wanda. I got Eddie. I got my mom. You know, I got the Schindlers there. Barbara, Jolinar, Jolene, whatever. And I, I, I can't say for sure. Nina, if you were to ask me, am I going to heaven? Can I be sure? I would say, uh, 
That's up to God. That's what I believe in predestination. God determines God's sovereignty. But none of us believe that. We believe if I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth, I'm saved. Period. So I can know without a shadow of a doubt. It's got nothing to do with God selecting me. It has everything to do with me believing and selecting him. But, but Calvinists believe in total depravity of man and unconditional selection. Do you hear? Unconditional selection. So if that's the way they've been trained, and in all sincerity, in all honesty, and all with a pure heart, I'm sorry, but they're going to go in and they're going to make translations and they're going to have wording and they're going to use wording that that kind of supports their their position. I would love to believe what you just said, Ed. I really would, but it's not it's not it's not true. That's why the Mirror Study Bible is so different. How could the Mirror Study Bible be so different? Because he comes from a different mindset and a, dif a different filtering system. I'm telling you, the Baptist Calvinists were so bad. No, they're not. They're not. They're good people, okay? What I'm talking about in their staunchness of what they believe and what they teach. When I went to Central Bible College, which was the Bible College for the Assemblies of God, right across town was Baptist Bible College, where they taught Calvinism, okay? Where they were schooled in it, where they were. This was their seminary, right? And so. Our books on Pentecostalism, on the Assemblies of God, could be found in their cult section in their library. Now, it was so it was so funny that when we played them in basketball, because because we were in a small you know NAIA Christian league, when we played them, they actually mocked us. They would all stand up on the other side, and this is the kids. This is the know nothing, you know, kids. They would stand up, and they would hold a newspaper in front of their their their, you know, when our players were being announced, and then they would put the newspapers down, and they would go and make fun of the fact that we believe in in speaking in other languages and tongues. So this shows you, okay? And guess what, guys? Baptists outnumber us five to one. <laughs> it's amazing, but anyway. But we, but I. That's nice to believe that I'm going to prayerfully. I'm going to go in there, but, but now if I'm prayerfully going in there, how am I going to interpret this? If I interpret it because of the grace and the salvation of faith, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and true righteousness, whatever, blah blah blah, and 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 God died for all. For God's sake, or am I going to go into it with what I believe, unconditional selection, and that's what happens? Yes, Jessica. Jessica. So, yeah, I was unmuting. Can yeah. You hear me now? Okay. I can hear you now. Um, so my question is, um, are you, do you have on your docket uh, one of these nights where you're going to uh, show us how to? Okay. Well, well, we got one more session on understanding the Bible, and we're going to cover how to use study apps. Okay. And I will, I will uh, take my iPad or take my phones, and yeah, we can walk through that, and we can show you. And uh, I'll tell you what, when I, uh, when I was in Bible college back in 1979, we didn't have, we had none of this. And the typical preacher's office had volumes of commentaries, volumes, um, volumes of Kittle's theological discourse on, on the New Testament, on the Greek New Testament, and the pulpit commentary, and, and FF, I mean, I'm telling you. And uh, now, nobody, ha right here, everything that we need is right here, and we'll do that. We'll go through the study, app, study, you know, how to use apps and whatnot. And you guys are gonna you're gonna, gonna become experts and you're gonna know more than Pastor Lenny. So Perfect. That's what I wanted to hear. 
That'll be good. Anybody, anybody, anything else? Anybody else? Yes, I do have a question. So. No, I'm not answering until I see your face. Oh, I'm in the car and my daughter's sleeping. Okay, all right. I'll let you. Okay, so now that verse on predestination, can you clarify then with, within the right context what that is actually meant well, to say then? It's funny. It, it's funny that when um, Steve Furtek did use that that verse, he left out a key word that can also be found. He said, um, "Who by his foreknowledge he determined, by his foreknowledge he determined." There's a big difference. So, because of his foreknowledge, right, he determined that we would be conformed into the exact image, duplicate copy of his son, Jesus, the firstborn amongst many brethren. So he left out that very all important word because of his foreknowledge. Now, here's where I've told you that if you understand Paul's thinking and Paul's philosophy and Paul's doctrine and you read Paul's letters, you understand, okay, hmm, what is Paul saying here? When you go to Ephesians, and you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about that the entirety, the entirety of mankind, before anything was created, before the creations of the world, before God spoke anything into existence, it says, he saw us in Christ, before him, holy, blameless, and in love. So now because of that, because of his foreknowledge, it was determined by God that at born again, consistency of scripture, union with Christ, one with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me, right? I live and move and have my being in him. He was one with who he, he was joined to the Lord as one spirit with the Lord, right? Now, because of all that, in my heart, believe, in my mouth, make confession. Now, because of that, God predetermined from the beginning of time, because of what he foreknew, he determined that once we all believed in Christ, we would all be made into the very image and likeness and duplicate copy of Jesus Christ, which is beautifully found in all of Scripture. Did that answer your question? Well, Jolene, did that answer your question? I, lo I, love, I love Paul's writings. They are so consistent and they answer, they, they, they answer each, each, they, one another. It's, it's all answered. It's all answered. I got, I got a question on that uh, predestination. Now, everybody, this is Wanda. She's joining us for the first time. Uh, she got a hold of my name from Healing is Here. 